Hello there. This is episode 41 of Streets and Eats. And today on the podcast, we are going to be giving you a first timer's guide to Alaska. We love Alaska. Welcome to Streets and Eats, the travel and food podcast dedicated to taking our listeners to the sights, sounds, and flavors of fascinating places near and far, both on and off the beaten path. We're Jim and Corinne Vale, and we've been traveling internationally and domestically together for decades, visiting more than 90 countries in all 50 states in the USA. We'll share all of the local knowledge and food expertise we've gathered through years of living as expats in Asia and Europe, as well as traveling with families spanning multiple generations around the world. Join us each week for a new adventure. So this last week, I'd say maybe a couple of weeks, we have been in planning mode. We are so excited to see all these countries opening up. Um, the idea that even the airlines are taking away the mask as you fly, because I don't know about you, but gosh, flying with the same mask for a few hours, it gets all soggy and wet. Yeah, you don't really like that, but I'll, I kind of think I'll probably always wear a mask from this point forward. Good for you. I'm not saying I won't either. If I... I believe in the Japanese way of wearing a mask. And that is, if I'm sick, I shouldn't be spreading that to anyone else. So if I start to get the sniffles or a sore throat, I will be wearing a mask. Um, along those lines, if I'm sitting next to someone who's got a cough or a tickle right, and, you know, sits down and takes out their Kleenexes and loads up their, their seat pocket with them, okay, I'll be wearing a mask then too. Yeah. But overall, the idea of being able to not wear a mask is very I've just had appealing. too many flights where I ended up with a cold afterwards. So It is true. I do think that um, the recycled air yeah. is you're going to get something from somebody. So it's probably not a bad idea, but just... I don't know. To me, it's just a thought process. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Plus, it's just an indicative that they're opening up. And we'll keep our boosters current. Yep. Oh, yeah. But for sure. I think really the best part about it is that so many countries are re removing their restrictions or their requirements for uh, like proof of vaccine. Uh, some of them could be pretty convoluted on how you go through the process of doing it. So it's good to see those going away. Well, and it's been expensive. You need a PCR, PCR test within test. the last 72 hours. Um, oh, but it can't be within 24 hours. Oh, and you need to use these approved services. And oh, it's just going to cost you a couple hundred dollars a person. Yeah. God forbid you go for a weekend. So I'm glad to see that going. Me and too. I have been seeing the the stats. The numbers are going up again, which is worrisome. But at the same time, hospitalizations and severity of of the disease seems to be getting better and and easier to to deal with i think well, so yay we are definitely planning where are we going next well some of the places i'm planning on going to alabama which is an interesting choice but it's because i'm doing a family thing with my sisters i'm really looking forward this is my first sisters trip that i'm taking it's in june it's months from now and uh, we're going to go down to Alabama and Tennessee, and we're just going to have a good time and talk with some family and go out on a boat. Go out on a shrimp boat. Eat go to the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, go to the Grand Ole Opry. That's right. Sounds like fun. I almost feel like crashing it, but <laughs> we don't really take a lot of separate vacations. We don't. We We've really been kind don't. of joined at the hip for 35 years now. More than that. More than that, but okay. <laughs> if I could do the math. <laughs> but I think I could count on one hand the number of times we've Done, purposefully done like tourism trips separately yeah i agree definitely on one hand because we have fomo 
Right? I don't want you to go do something great and I don't get to do it too. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not fair. Although okay. you weren't too interested in doing my tall ship adventure. Okay, so that was the one thing that <laughs> I told Jim. This is a you thing, a you thing only. I do not mind staying home. Jim had this dream, and maybe still does, I think. Where, well, what it's did not you a dream do? anymore. It's well, a reality. Well, explain it. <laughs> well, it's a, my tall ship adventure. I, I've always been really interested and excited by ships in the sea. Why I joined the Air Force, I don't really know. I probably should have joined the Navy. Although I've always been excited about airplanes and technology too. And so when we were in Bergen a couple winters ago, uh, they had a tall ship in port that is attached to the city, home ported there in Bergen. Uh, And I just kind of fell in love with that ship. So I went right up and said, hey, do you do onboard tours or anything like that? And I found out about the tall ship races uh, where they take trainees on as crew members and you go aboard the ship and you go on whatever legs of the race you want to go on. You can go on through the the whole thing or just one leg, um, which is what I did one leg. Which is what, four days, five days? Five days on board. Yeah, well. Uh, And you just become part of the crew. You're assigned to one of the shifts and you you pull on the ropes, you climb the mast, you put out the sails, everything. Yeah, you do watch. You you stand watch. So overall, it doesn't sound bad, right? Well, you sleep in hammocks that are right up next to each other. Everybody has their own two feet of lying space. Maybe maybe two and a half feet. (laughs) And yeah, it was a lot of fun. I loved it. The food was good. A lot of really fun stories. You meet lots of very cool people who are also excited about this really strange thing too. Um, But not for you. No, because I'm not a luxury traveler. I don't need, I don't need fancy. You know what I do need? I need my bed to not have people's toes in my face (laughs) or above me or below me. And I need my own bathroom. I'm just at that point in my life. I don't think that's luxury. If you do, sorry, but no, 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 no. I I, I had no. It wasn't for you. Nope. There was no FOMO going on there. Anyway, I'm glad he had fun. Yeah, But, But I'm going on a girl's trip, which like Jim said, we haven't really done um, too many of those. And then um, Jim and I are both going to Bangkok. Uh, no, before that, we're going to be going to Lafayette. Oh, we're going to Louisiana. Louisiana. That's right. So we're going to do some stateside travel. Well, and we don't have anything else planned right now for stateside, but well, we have to get to Louisiana, and we'll have some time after Louisiana. So maybe I'm sure some more we'll time. do something. Yeah. Although you'll have just been in the South, so maybe you won't want to spend too much time in the South. Well, we'll but see. then after that, yeah, we are planning a trip to Thailand. So we'll be in Thailand. And I think we'll be in Thailand for probably three to four weeks. Yeah, that's about right. And we'll we'll pretty much do it up good. Yeah. And then from Thailand, we need to be in Vietnam by December third. So we even have a date for that one. Like we have to start figuring that out. Because we'll be going to Vietnam and we'll be there at least a month. Mm-hmm. Um, if we decide we're going to stay longer, we need to figure out our visa run because the Vietnamese visa is only for 30 days. 30 days. 
Yikes. That's such a short time. It really is. It really is. So we're going to Southeast Asia. And from there, who knows? Who knows where we'll go from there? But we're we're getting on the road. We're That's pretty what excited. We're, doing. we're going to become digital nomads again. We are. Which is really maybe exciting. the more true sense of Even the word. Even more nomadic than we have in the past, where we've done a lot of traveling overseas and living in different countries, uh, but we tended to be a little bit more sedentary. Is not the right word. Uh, more stuck to that country for two or three years before we'd move on to another one, which is great. You really get to experience a lot when you live in a country for that long. But also the idea of just being more nomadic and kind of going where we want is super appealing to to both of us, I'm sure. Although what I'm really not looking forward to is having to worry about visas. Yeah. Uh, it was always really nice when we lived in Europe that we had a residence permit. Mm-hmm. So we never had to worry about when we entered or when we left. We didn't have to worry about how many days we were in the Schengen zone. We didn't have to worry about anything like that. We just would go and come back and then go somewhere else and come back. It was so nice. Yeah. When you're part of the Schengen agreement, it's a great thing. It really is. When you're not, it can be challenging. So, well, we're not anymore. Okay. Well, for this podcast, uh, like we mentioned earlier, we are stateside. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite states. Uh, where we lived for seven, eight years, eight years. Eight years. Uh, Alaska. Yeah, we loved Alaska. So Jim was in the Air Force when we moved there. And the whole time that we lived in Alaska, he was still in the Air Force. And we were leaving Germany at one point. We've been to Germany how many times altogether? Four or five times we've been stationed in Germany. Mm-hmm. And we turned to our children and we said, where do you guys want to go? Because we were just so excited. We pretty much would go anywhere. And the kids answered Alaska. Jim and I looked at each other. And we're like, "What? Where did that Alaska? come from?" And then we were like, "Hey, sounds good." And at that time, the process that I had, uh, let me put in, I think seven or eight different wish list places that we could go. Uh, so you put in your choices, and uh, I remember. You could go into the office where they set up all the moves for people and they had this huge printout book that you could flip through and you could find your rating or your, uh, it's called an AFSC, your job code and see where they were projecting openings. And I I actually invited you to come in with me. That's right. It was a cool day. And so we went in and we flipped open the book and I flipped right to the page for my code. And started running my finger down the line. And I think we were, you were kind of following along with me. And first one we got to was Alaska. And we're like, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it did. Even though at that point it was just a projection. I still had eight choices to go put on there. Uh, But that is where we ended up going. And it really turned into like the trip of a lifetime that just lasted for eight years. I don't think we ever really stopped for any length of time exploring, hiking, camping, fishing, all those things that everybody loves about Alaska. And we keep going back. So since we've left there, and it's been a few years, um, but it hasn't been that many years since we've been back. We were just there last summer, the summer before, Mm -hmm. um, because we love Alaska. We have good, good friends who live there. And there's it's just it's so beautiful and there's 
I don't know. It's one of those things that you're going to fall in love with. So we love it. And we still keep going. Even living there, you you had basically two people, two types of people. Love them or hate them. Those who loved Alaska or those who hated Alaska and wanted to get out as quickly as possible. Um, If you're one of the, one of those, you're probably maybe happy to listen to our podcast because you like us, but never really planning on going to Alaska. Uh, I think hopefully we'll change their mind though. I I hope so. I think people who don't like Alaska, I think they know it before they go and maybe they went into it with a closed mind. I also think though, that we're talking living versus vacationing. It's a big difference. I, I don't think I've ever, let me rack my brain here. I don't think I've ever met anyone who went on vacation in Alaska and disliked it. Well, there's this one guy in Talkeetna that I met in one of the, <laughs> I think it was a bakery slash gift store. Like everything is in Alaska. Nothing mm-hmm. serves one purpose. And he was looking at- We were up at, there visiting after we lived there. That yeah, wasn't, that's that was right. a visit time. It was time. a visit time. And he was looking at um, the artwork that they had. Photography artwork. Photography. And seeing these great shots of moose and bear. And he's saying, gosh, I haven't seen a moose or a bear. Uh, I, I kind of think maybe they don't really exist. And It's a myth. He was not happy with his trip because he hadn't seen the wildlife he was expecting to see. And I don't know what was going on with them, with the, his trip. I think he had been on a cruise coming up to Alaska and then taken a excursion into Denali. Uh, to me, it seems impossible. It does, right? Because I've never been any of the places that you just mentioned and not seen wildlife. Never. And maybe it went more into the people that set up the excursions, not spending enough time in, in, in one place. I, I don't know. Or just bad luck. But it's pretty rare that that happens. He's Very the only person rare. I've ever met that was not impressed with his trip to Alaska. And he, yeah, he was just someone on the side of the road anyway. <laughs> and who knows how true it was? It was just sort of in passing. But anyway, so Alaska is a gorgeous place. As we mentioned, one of the main reasons to go is the wildlife. But also the landscape is just stunning with glaciers and mountains and lakes. Oh, my. And of course, adventure. You can do anything adventurous that you want, whether it's kayaking or fishing or um Hiking. It's, it's a very wild part of our country. And if you are into that outdoor adventure sport like that, uh, you definitely want to do your research and be aware of what you're getting yourself into because it can be, it can be deadly. But if you do it the right way, it will If you be. do it the right way, you're going to have the time of your life. So how do you get there? There are so many ways to get to Alaska. Jim's already mentioned you can take a cruise up there and then oftentimes people who cruise up there will take a few excursions once they're there and then they'll fly out and go home. Yeah, that's, a, I think, probably the, if you a look very at the common numbers, way. yeah, it's probably the way most people do Alaska. Another very popular way is to drive both ways and maybe take your RV and do some camping. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's a great idea if you've got the time and the energy. It will definitely take time because... The Alaska Highway is, what, 1,800 miles? It's a long trip. The fastest I ever did it, and it wasn't the Alaska Highway, the whole Alaska Highway. It was just coming down in through, um, out of Alaska and then down into British Columbia and in through to the Seattle area. Uh, That still took three days. And I was 
doing it to drive it and to get through it. Yeah. So if you are thinking of that, that trip, uh, that's a trip in itself. That's a whole, it is, it's a whole nother podcast. It's a whole trip. It's a whole podcast, just the Alaska highway. Um, if you are going that route and even if you're not, but you're going to be driving in Alaska, which we'll talk about getting around Alaska later. One thing to keep in mind is the book called the Milepost that covers all of the roads that you can drive in Alaska, plus the roads getting to Alaska from the lower 48. All right. So you can drive, you can fly, and then, or you could, of course, rent a car. But I didn't mention my favorite way of going. Yeah, the best way. The absolute 100% best way to go, especially if you have your own car, is to take the Alaska Marine Highway. Now, we've got an article about this on our blog, Reflections and Route. And I'll put the link there. But basically what it is, is a ferry. It's a day, a ferry that takes four days because mm-hmm. it goes from Bellingham, Washington to, well, there's two places that the terminus is, um, either Haines or Skagway. Either way, you still have a lot more driving to get to Anchorage or Fairbanks. But um, it's well worth it. You can take your RV on there if you want. It, of course, the larger the vehicle you have, the more expensive it is to stow the vehicle underneath the hold. Um, you can either have cabins or you can sleep on deck. So it's a lot of fun. What I love about it is it's kind of like a cruise light. We have, what do you call them? You know, park rangers on there. They give you lectures. They have two restaurants on board. Or you can bring your own food. You can even take your animals on there. You just have to leave them in the hold and then go down and take care of them um, when they allow you to and they make announcements. Right. Uh, sleeping cabins, of course. Which we've done. We've only done the cabins once and we've done the ferry a number of times. In fact, it was the first time we went to Alaska when we were first moving there when I was in the Air Force. Uh, We had just, we had our car shipped from Germany to the States. We drove across the States, took a, we took a good full month, six weeks, right? A full six weeks getting from my one base in Germany to my new base in Alaska uh, and just had an epic adventure. And the way we ended up getting to Alaska was on the Marine Highway. And our kids were young. So we kind of knew at that point that you don't have to have a cabin. But with young kids, very they were, I think, five and six at the time. Five and seven. Uh, really young. We didn't want to be asleep and have them wandering around. So a cabin was definitely the way to go for the small kids. Plus, it was winter. It was the first winter sailing. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but October in Alaska gets pretty chilly. So we had to be prepared for cold weather. Mm -hmm. We weren't going to sleep on deck. Nowadays, we probably would because we know what sleeping on deck entails. But like he said, not with little kids. Not with little kids. And other trips that we've taken up, we didn't get a cabin. We just slept on deck. And when you sleep on deck, you can, if you want, pitch a tent. There's a few areas, sun decks, where you can put up your own little tent. Um... It gets a little bit windy. The people that we saw doing that, I don't know that they had as good of an experience as other people do, because again, you're kind of putting yourself in a tent and away from people where the most fun is where you sleep on the deck, on the deck chairs, or just lay out a mat and sleep in your sleeping bag, kind of a big communal campground type thing with all the other people that decided to sleep outdoors and enjoy just being on the ship and sleeping on the ship like that. That was the best way to do it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are or 
how young you are. There's people of all ages and socioeconomic statuses and everything just sleeping on deck. It was really cool. But if you don't want to do that, if that's too adventurous for you, there are cabins. Right. Um, a lot of people, though, are going to fly in and probably the most common place to fly in is Anchorage or Fairbanks. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of places in Alaska that you can't drive to anyway. So you have to take an airplane from someplace. For example, the capital, Juneau. A, there's an airport in Juneau, of course. It's a pretty good size one because that's where the Alaskan government is. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so you can go straight to Juneau from the lower 48. You can take the ferry to Juneau too, of course. We've done that as well. And flying within Alaska, there's a few places that first-timers may want to go. Um, I think for the most part, for first-timers, you're going to be focused around Anchorage and the Kenai Peninsula, Denali National Park, and Fairbanks. Yeah. Uh, and those are all accessible by car. by car. Or railroad. Or railroad or bus. There's also a bus that goes between the major parts, between the parks for sure. Uh, so on the Kenai Peninsula, you have the Kenai Fjords National Wildlife Reserve, or is it a park? There's a park there too. National there's park. probably both. And uh, Denali National Park up north up the parks highway we'll put the links for the different buses that you could take i think most people who are going to visit alaska are going to fly there and rent a vehicle it's just too difficult to get to Around. too many places yeah. without your own vehicle uh, the other option is to fly there and be part of a tour uh, which, which is, there are plenty of tours. Which there's plenty of. And you could fly into Anchorage and do tours in and out of Anchorage uh, using that as your hub. It adds more time, of course, when you're on a tour, but it's very doable. And we'll put some links to some really good tours that uh, that people would take that but way. Some things about the tours that are, are even better, like... Um, whether when you're going to Denali, you have to take a bus in the park anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and you have to pay for that and it's like 60 bucks. So you're not going to get there for less than 60 bucks to begin with, but you still have to try and get your tickets and get, you know, figure out which one to take. Whereas if you take a tour, it's all taken care of for you. So there are some, sometimes that actually I, I recommend taking a tour over trying to do it yourself because it just takes a little bit less effort on your part. Um, and you could do things like fly out to Lake Iliamna and see the bears or do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And uh, whale watching and things like that. Yeah. Those are really great op options well, and, for tours too. And you just can't really do that on your own as easily. Right. Especially since a lot of it takes so much prior planning that you've got to do it so early on. If you're doing it on your own, just getting a camping spot in Denali National Park or a seat on the bus that's going to take you into the park and out of the park can be a challenge. And if you wait too long, you aren't going to get those happen. things. <laughs> so you have to really plan early for Alaska. And again, so sometimes taking tours is simply a good idea because you plan too late and just couldn't do it on your own. And you want to make sure that you don't miss X. So if you take a tour there, you'll be fine because they've made reservations for you already. One thing about the bus that, that I found out, uh, we haven't done the bus ourselves. We've done the railroad and we've done self-driving quite a bit. But with the buses, I found that you can get dropped off anywhere along the route on the park's highway. 
between Anchorage and Fairbanks and then get picked up again. And you can do like multi-stops along that way. That's kind of cool. Which is kind of a cool way to do it. The train will do that too. It but, will? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We definitely stopped in a few places where people got off and did some backcountry camping and hiking. And then they would get picked up again by the train the next day or a couple of days later. So you can do that with the buses, uh, which is pretty cool. I don't think you can do that with the bus that takes you down to Seward, but I'm sure that you could, there are different stops along the route that you could arrange a, a pickup at. So that is an option. If you're just going to be in that kind of that same stretch that the train runs between Seward to Anchorage and then on up to Fairbanks as it goes past Denali. And it's a much more budget friendly way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the best way is just to rent a car because then you're in charge of yourself and your timeline and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even if you end up taking tours to things like the park and, you know, well, watch it and things like that, which you'll be, you'll have to take some tours. Um, it'll, it still gets you there easily. What do you think about four wheel drive? Do you think renting a car means you have to rent a four wheel drive? No, I don't think you need a four wheel drive at all. Not at all. Not at all. Roads are paved, especially for a first timer. You're not going to be getting that far off road. Uh, and well, the thing is, they if they rent you a four wheel drive, they tell you it's not covered on that's right unpaved roads or something. So yeah, you just don't, don't need do that. It. All the campgrounds, the state parks, the national parks they're they're made for regular driving access. And there's plenty of people. So how much time do you need in Alaska? Ooh. As much as you well, can get. Well, if you could live there, go live there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people go for a week uh or two weeks. Two weeks is pretty good. One week, I think you can make a really good itinerary if you're flying in especially, uh where you fly into Anchorage, go spend a couple of days on the Kenai Peninsula, two or three days. Uh, maybe do some fishing on the Kenai River, depending what time of year it is. And then a whale watching tour or a wildlife viewing tour on a boat out of Seward. And then uh, up to Denali for another three days. And that's going to cover pretty much seven or eight days. Yeah. I mean, in two weeks, you can pretty much do it all. Um, but I think that's the minimum that you want to yeah. spend there in the summer. However, in the winter, I don't think you need more than a week. The two big things to do in the winter would be for Rendezvous, which is a huge winter festival in Anchorage, or the Iditarod start, which is also in Anchorage. And it's worked out where I think you can do both in the same two-week. Yeah, um, pretty close to each other. Yeah, two-week vacation. And it's well worth it. So, And I think that everybody should go to Alaska during the winter. Everybody, because that's where you're going to get to see the Northern Lights and things like that. That's right. And it's a completely different experience than it is is. in the summertime. You won't see as much wildlife, but the wildlife you do see is going to be in such a, such a environment that is just spectacular. When you see a moose, you know, a moose knee deep in snow and just kind of trudging around, that's pretty cool. It is cool. And you don't have to worry about the bears because they're hibernating. But I also think you should go in summer. So, I mean, I think there's two times to go and, and there's a good reason for it. Um, so Jim started touching on this a little bit, but some of the important places to see are Anchorage. Yeah. Well, Anchorage is the biggest city. It's also where you're going to get on the railroad if you're uh, t- taking the Alaska Railroad. It's got a great downtown. Mm-hmm. And there's lots, of, lots to do down there. Lots of really good restaurants. Um, one of the 
things to do. You know, if you're in New York City, you go down and get a hot dog from the cart. If you're in Anchorage, you go down and get a reindeer sausage from the reindeer cart. Reindeer sausage, right? Yeah, uh, and, summer, and that's a that's a must do. Or a summertime in one of the little. It's not really a food stall or a food truck because it takes over a little part of the a little part of land where they'll do a salmon bake. They, there's not really any good salmon bake restaurants in in Anchorage other than summertime. No, but there is in Fairbanks and there also is in Seward. So yeah. you'll you'll find them. There's no problem. But and you are, should do a salmon bake. Yeah, but there's a lot to do in Anchorage. Even just going out to the Earthquake Park. Earthquake Park and seeing the displays from the big uh, Easter Sunday earthquake in 64. Really fascinating. Well, plus we've never gone there and not seen moose. And that's always a good place to see moose. Yep. For sure. Uh, and just a great view across the water of yeah, the inlet. Anchorage in the inlet. Oh, and yeah, because that's where it's, I always take my yeah. um, views of the city of Anchorage itself. It's so pretty. It's like the iconic view of the city. It is. Uh, Earthquake Park is really big. Uh, and there's just so much to do in the downtown area. It's got great green spaces. I really love it. That's where, of course, the big museums are going to be. So you want to do the museums there. And the zoo. Oh, yeah. And the zoo's quite good, too. It's a small zoo, but what's nice about it, it has all the animals from that area. I don't think it has very many animals that are not from the area, but who cares? I mean, really, the reason you're there is to see moose and Right. And bear and, you know, porcupine and all that other stuff. Well, the standout that I can think of is, um, that's not from the area, is a tiger. But it's a Siberian tiger, so it's still from the same type of uh, habitat. Yeah. So it fits right in. Um, so Anchorage is obviously someplace that you need to spend some time. Um, there's also, of course, we've talked about this a little bit already, is Denali National Park. You have to go to mm -hmm. Denali National Park. It can be a little bit hard to get the tickets and figure out when to go and get reservations. So this is where I do kind of really kind of think that taking a tour is one of the best ways to go. But if you but if you're planning for a, a year out, then it's of course doable. you could do it by yourself. And even with the tours, you're not going to be able to just show up in Alaska and book a tour the next day. That's going to take some prior planning as well. But I think you have a better chance of getting a tour, though, than maybe reservations otherwise sometimes. And so the big thing about Denali National Park, of course, is Mount Denali, the tallest mountain in North America. It's what most people are going to think about when they think of the park. But really what you're going to Denali for is for the wildlife viewing. Uh, it's a huge park. What a lot of people don't realize is you can't just drive in and do a whole lot of wildlife viewing on your own. The roads are restricted up to a certain point where only um, the park buses can go all the way into the park. So you have to have that reservation. You have to have a seat on the bus. And uh, we've talked a little bit about wildlife viewing when we talked about safaris. The same thing is going to be true with wildlife viewing in Alaska. You're going to be wanting to get onto the bus to where you're going to be in the park early in the morning or uh, again at later in the day. I wouldn't say sunset because in July the sun doesn't the set sun kind of skims the top of them of the horizon a little bit uh, in Denali national park. 
but later in the in the day, one of the last rides is the best way to go. And I think it's like a fifty mile ride so into I think Wonder Lake. I think it's sixty miles, but it takes eleven hours. Yeah, it's a slow ride, and it's going to stop for wildlife. That's what you're there for. I think the biggest problem people have is they think that it's a bus that's taking them somewhere, and so they, every time it stops, they're like, "Why is this bus stopping?" Most people figure out pretty quickly the bus is stopping because there's a moose over on the hill over there, or there's a bear down on the side of the road. Uh, And that's what you're there for. You're on the bus to see the wildlife, the landscape, and just enjoy being there uh, and not get stressed about going too fast because you want to go slow. So you want to bring your binoculars Mm -hmm. because even though that you'll see wildlife, some are not going to be that close to the road. We've seen all kinds of wildlife, but not all of it is right there up close and personal. So you want to make sure that you have a good set of binoculars with you and a good camera lens. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you can do in the park is go visit the little puppies, the dog sleds. That's always fun, especially if you've got kids with you. Um, you can do that no matter where you are in Anchorage, Fairbanks, Seward, all over the oh, place. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good places to do. <laughs> but dog do it, sledding. do it somewhere. Even though if you're there in the summertime, your dog sledding is going to be on wheels, it's still a pretty good adventure. Well, and you get to pet the puppies. Right. Um, Seward, Seward's the opposite direction from Anchorage to, um, from Denali, you know what I mean. You're going south from Anchorage. Yeah. And um, there you want to do things like take a fishing tour. You want to go up to the glacier, exit glacier. Uh, there's tons of sea animals to see, otters and sea lions and seals and whales and gosh, just everything. And w- there we have seen the otters right offshore. Oh, yeah. There's a there's one little road that leaves the town and kind of follows out around the, the inlet. And it's a great place for seeing otters, otters eagles, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any whales. They don't come that far into town, towards no, the town. The whales are further out. They need deeper water. Uh, but yeah, definitely the otters are, are very cool to see out there. Um, I think almost every time we go to Seward on a visit like that, we'll do a fishing charter. If you're into fishing, uh, the halibut fishing is really good out of Seward. And the, what's really good about it is... You're on a boat. You're out in the same waters where the whales are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get to catch fish, but that's also where I've had some of the most spectacular uh, whale viewing. And we've never gone halibut fishing where we didn't catch our limit because you get two halibut a day. And remember to get your fishing license. Um, you have you have to have a fishing license, and it's not cheap, but it's worth it. Right. Um, and go on the tour. They take care of you. They'll help you pull it in. And then there's a uh, right off the deck there, there's a place to clean your fish and everything. So, or you can pay someone yeah, to do it. I was going to say some, some people clean it for you. And so what do you do if you've caught all this fish, but you're only on a two week trip and you flew in and you're going to have to fly out? Well, what we've done, uh, there's a couple of choices here. You could clean all your fish, have it, um, frozen and put on dry ice and you can actually bring it back with you on the plane. A lot of people do that. Uh, That's a good option. Or what we've also done is get back to the port, get our fish off the boat. Because you you have to claim it. You have to claim your fish. They mark them so everybody knows whose fish is which. And you're on this charter with a few other people, anywhere from uh, six people on up to, I think, 24 people could be on a charter boat, depending on the size. And maybe some people didn't catch their limit or 
maybe some people are local and have a way to store their fish. So then you can just say, well, I'm going to keep these two nice big fillets of halibut and I'm going to cook them right on the campfire here in Seward where I'm staying and have a really nice meal. Anybody interested in the rest of my fish? And every time we've done that, there have been plenty of people who stepped right up and said, I would love to have your fish. And they'll be more than happy to take your fish and do all the cleaning and prepping themselves because they really want that fish. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. We love doing that. Um, there's other things in doing Seward. You can go kayaking. You can go visit some of the cool buildings. The library is a really cool building. It's got a little museum in there. It's fun mm-hmm. to go to. There's a nice walk along the ed- the water's edge. There's the sea the sea aquarium sea there. Sea life aquarium is really there's good. There's plenty of things to do. The kids will love it. Um, it was always our kids' favorite place in Alaska because it's small. It's quaint. It has good food. It's just a lot of fun. It's got a big beach that you can go play on. I mean, and, how fun is that? And right out of town is, I think, one of the most accessible glaciers yeah. in Alaska. Exit Glacier is only a few miles out of town. Which is part of Kenai National Fjords. Mm-hmm. Nas- Kenai Fjords National Park. Right. Uh, so definitely need to see that. You can get pretty close to a glacier right out of Seward. And then on the way down to Seward, you could stop off. It only takes half a day. Stop off at Portage Glacier in the visitor center there. And take a boat tour across the There's a the boat land. tour that will take yeah. you out to that glacier. And that's a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Um, like Jim mentioned, a lot of people go to do fishing. Um, fish Doing a fish tour, like you mentioned, is definitely one of the best ways to do it. We strongly recommend you do that. There's also salmon fly fishing or salmon fishing tours that you can take. And they will certainly tell you how to do it. But you could go salmon fishing on your own. A lot of people do. Down on the Kenai Peninsula, especially like on the Russian River, you just get down there and you kind of stake out your 10 feet mm-hmm. and well, you... two feet. <laughs> well, you got, you got a few feet on you your side of You got a few feet on your side. But the problem is you're going to have someone across from you and you're going to have people on both sides. They call it combat fishing for a reason. Yeah. Um. So you kind of have to understand what the unwritten rules are. And the unwritten rules are if someone says fish on, everybody gets their lines out of the water so that you're not impeding that person's chance to catch the fish or getting tangled up in their line. Exactly. And you also have to like really work on getting the rhythm so that everybody on, on the bank near you is kind of casting and flowing downstream kind of in sync so that you're not casting into someone who's already coming downstream. It's kind of a trick to, to it, not it really get is. It's caught not up the, in the lines. It's not the easiest fishing by any stretch of the imagination. It's a lot of fun. It's memorable. If you catch a king salmon or really any kind of salmon, you're going to be you're just gonna love it. in, yeah, but you on can actually, nine. You can actually fish right there in Anchorage, too, at Ship you, Creek. Yeah. It's not the best. I wouldn't. I, I don't suggest that. People will tell you that. And, yeah. I personally don't think it's a nice place to do it, so I wouldn't do it. Um, But not only that, there are, like I said, salmon fishing is not easy. It it just isn't easy. Um, You got to have the right place. You've got to have the right technique. You've got to have waiters. Um, All the equipment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it can get kind of pricey. So really taking a salmon fishing tour is not a bad idea for a lot of different reasons. Um, They know where to go. And they're going to help you get the best chance of catching a fish. Also, um, you know, you, you, there's always those people that are fishermen that can go out there and no matter what they're fishing for, they're going to get it right away. But there's other people like me that need a lot of help. 
Yeah. And that is a great way to do it. The tour, they'll take care of everything for you. You can just pretty much show up at the dock or they'll pick you up at your hotel. And with any luck at all, you'll come back with a fish. I think that if you're, I think salmon fishing is one of those iconic things that you should do in Alaska. But if you've only got a week or two weeks, then you really kind of have to do it by tour because you're not going to catch one probably the first time you go out on your own. Mm, It's just, it's just too tricky. It's just, there's so much to learn. Well, and you have to bring so much with you. And you have to have so much gear. But if you're in your RV and you're an avid fisherman and you have all the stuff, then yeah, hey, go for it. You're going to love it. Yeah. And a lot of people also will plan a Alaska adventure just to do fly-in fishing and going to a fish camp somewhere, exactly. or a fish, lo- fish lodge, and spending their whole time fishing, uh, which is great too. And But probably those people aren't listening to this podcast because they're they really into it and they're looking for fish safaris. Um, one thing that we love is camping in Alaska. There's so many state campgrounds. They're all set up for RVs. There's always tents at all of them. So don't think people don't tent camp just because there's bears around and never stops anybody. Um, but they're also really set up for RVs because it's cold. It is cold. It's even cold in the summer. And I mean, you might get some pretty warm weather during the day, but it's going to cool down at night. So, you know, you have to be prepared for that. First of all, dress in layers. And so, and if it's rainy, it gets real cold real fast. Yeah. Um, and take some, yeah, wake gear with you for sure. Well, it's called permafrost for a reason. Yeah, right. That ground is cold. You it cannot is. sleep on the ground it without is. something between you and your sleeping bag. Yeah, I. that's a very good point. Um, so there's, like Jim said, there's tons of museums in both Fairbanks and Anchorage to see. There's Northern Lights to go looking for if you can. Wintertime. In the wintertime. Um, there's animals galore, both winter and summer. There's just so much to do. But one of my favorite things to do, especially in Anchorage, uh, Fairbanks and Seward too, is to eat. Oh yeah. There's a lot of good places to eat. There is. We already mentioned the reindeer sausage. Right. But what we didn't mention is our favorite place to have breakfast burritos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We discovered this years ago (laughs) and it's still there. I don't know if most people think of. Alaska and think of breakfast burritos. Yeah, well. <laughs> but so the story is uh, there was an Alaskan from Anchorage who went down to Las Vegas, like a lot of people do. He went out for a while and did some gambling and really did good. Scored big, won some, some big bonuses, came back, said, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to live my dream. I'm going to open a burrito shop and gas station. So Chevron on Boniface has a burrito station inside of it that has the best, well, burritos in general that you're going to find certainly in Alaska. But I got to tell you that breakfast burrito is the best that I've had anywhere. And they've got the whole range of normal, I guess, regular breakfast burritos, chorizo. And, and they also do lunch and dinner. Ham and bit Yeah. All their burritos are good all day long. But the breakfast burritos are standouts. But the favorite, of course, is the reindeer sausage breakfast burrito. Oh, it's so good. I can't even tell you. And they are big. It'll keep you going through dinner anyway. Um, Another really popular place to go is called Moose's Tooth. It's a pizzeria and they have all kinds of artisanal pieces as well Mm. as the -the run-of-the-mill pizzas. The problem with the Moose's Tooth is the last time we went... I mean, they don't take reservations and it gets packed quick. 
So my suggestion, if you want to go there and you should, is maybe to go like mid afternoon yeah, or right after it opens or sometime or maybe later in the evening so that people will have left already. Mm, they stay pretty late because it's got a lot of good beer there too. Well, it does. Beer. It has good beer. It's a great place to go and we love it, but, but just be prepared. It does. It does have crowds nowadays. Uh, my favorite for fried favorite. chicken is Lucky Wishbone. They have some really good fried chicken. Now, is it like the best fried chicken you're going to get anywhere in the world? I don't know about that. Probably not. But it is a very cool old, old school diner, restaurant, drive-in type place uh, that's been around forever. They still make the the hand-mixed shakes and everything there is just really good. And the people are super friendly and happy. I, I I love Lucky Wishbone. He really does. I like it. I don't dislike it. I never say no to it, but it's just not something I ever it's think of to recommend. You're not really big into fried chicken mostly uh, anyway. Yeah, I guess. Is that what it is? Yeah. Anyway. Well, the other one, I don't think we put it on our list to start with, but thinking of the food in Anchorage made me think of it. My first real experience with Thai food was in Anchorage. And there's a restaurant there called Thai Village, which was opened up by some Thai women who were married to military uh, guys. Military guys, and it's right off the base on it, Boniface. Yeah, and it's this old Pizza Hut that's been converted yeah. into a Thai restaurant. It's not some place you would think of going if you are uh-uh. just touring Alaska, but we're here to tell you it's the best Thai food it's around. It's the best Thai food in the states. It really is. And I don't know so if that's good. because it's the first place I ever had Thai food, and so that's like the bar for me. Um, but it's really good. It is. It's we really have to good. go there every time we go to Alaska. It's so true. Um, down in Girdwood, go, as you're going south down to Portage Glacier into Seward, there are two really good places you can stop. If you're going there and not spending much time, but you can go there for lunch, there's the Bake Shop, which traditionally sells homemade soups that are amazing. Mm-hmm. Soups and sandwiches on their own homemade bread. And the soup you can get in their homemade bread roll or bread and the soup and the soup you can get in their homemade bread bowl Uh, always very popular option as well most people are going to be going through the girdwood area kind of mid-morning late morning early afternoon and stopping there for lunch so this because there's not a lot of other lunch options on that stretch of road there's more now there's like a pizza place there's like there's a whole there's more now there's a whole little um what do you call that? Strip mall right at the intersection of Girdwood Yeah, now. there's a few things there. So people, I think, go there and they don't even go into Girdwood, which you need to go yeah. into because it's a cute little place. It is. But every time I've been to that bake shop, it's been pretty full. It's, it's always packed, yeah. But their soups are delicious. Really, really good. I, I've had a couple of their sandwiches. They're good, but I always remember the soup. Oh, yeah, we go for the soup. The other option, if you are staying in the area in Anchorage or even there, there's some really nice... Uh, accommodation choices in Alaska in Girdwood is the double muskie. Do you know the story of the double muskie? I don't know the story or I've forgotten it. The double muskie is this kind of passion project restaurant that was started way back when out in an old log cabin. It's been kind of built on around and expanded to give them more seating areas. Uh, But they specialize in like Cajun food almost, but it's not. It's not Cajun food at all, but that's what they say. It's Cajun. It's like blackened steak. Uh-huh. Um, they have salmon. They have seafood. My favorite thing is the is the scallop 
um, rice. It's like a risotto. Oh my gosh, it's so it's good. So good. Uh, I really like their filet. They have a great filet with the Bernays sauce, a blackened fil- filet with oh, the Bernays sauce. So um, amazing. And of course, everybody goes there for the double musky pie. Yes, that's right. Which is like your your typical delicious, decadent, decadent killer, death by chocolate yeah. and cream pie type thing. Really good. But it's a great place to eat. It's a, it's a pricey. It's not, you're not going to eat at those kind of yeah, it's places. it's upscale. Yeah, it's upscale. You're not going to eat at those places every night. It doesn't matter what you wear. It's not upscale that way. It's right, just got a right. good price. The food is upscale and the price matches. I mean, you're paying for what you get. Yeah. It's it's still good value because it's such good food. And they have good beer there. I don't, I never had the wines, but I'm sure the wines are good too. And kind of like everything in, in Alaska, when you're going out to restaurants or uh, just going out for a night on the town, there's casual, there's Alaska casual. Alaska casual is even more casual than casual. <laughs> you can pretty much wear what you wear want. Wear what you want and just have fun. Well... I'm going to tell the story about that. So I used to go out to Dutch Harbor all the time, about once, twice a year. And I used to stay at the really fancy hotel there. Well, the only hotel there called the Aleutian. And um, I mean, it's we're talking pretty upscale, a couple hundred bucks a night. You know, they have a really sweet restaurant, gorgeous food, king crab, you name it. And you never saw anyone in there who wasn't scrubby looking with their fishing hats on and their vests and their muck monkey boots and i mean it's just what it is that's what alaska is if you're there in alaska doing alaskan things you're not really too too worried about the looks now i'm not saying people don't get dressed up because they do they do and you do want to clean up for a lot of things if you're going to be doing going to a show or an event in the performing arts center for instance you're going to want to not go in your fishing gear of course Well, they also have a ball at the fur rendezvous right Things like that. So there are dress up times. They're just not very many. Because <laughs> you don't have to stress about and it. And especially in most at places. restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we already mentioned salmon bakes. Um, one of our favorite salmon bakes, uh, bakes is actually at Exit Glacier on the way up the road to Exit Glacier. Um, there's a salmon bake right along the river that is well known, has a really good menu, and it's it's really good. Yeah, another log cabin type thing. Yeah. Super good food. Very Alaskan. Good beer, of course. Good drinks, good good desserts, and of and yeah, the whole Alaska decor. Yeah, and then in Fairbanks, in Fairbanks, there is a really good salmon bake, the Alaska salmon bake. Uh, it's in an old mining camp, yeah. So it's got the old mining buildings, historic buildings, you and eat all outside. that equipment, yeah. and it feels more like an authentic um, salmon bake. I took my Girl Scout troop there. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so there's plenty of choices. Um, while you're in Alaska, you really should try, of course, salmon, halibut, reindeer sausage, and, and you know, it's all meats. If you get That's a true. chance, if you get a chance to try moose, try moose. Typically, you're only going to get that, though, if you know somebody who's hunted moose because they don't sell it at not many restaurants will the carry restaurant. it. I don't think any. I can't think of one off I the top of my head. Any. We'll do some research. We find we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But the food there is actually quite good. Um, you know, Alaskans are hearty, so they have a hearty fare. And, you know, I, I love a hearty fare. Um, the other thing we want to talk about real quickly is accommodations other than camping. Alaska, this is where you're going to spend some money. Mm, yeah. They're not cheap, especially all summer long or during the big events in the winter for rendezvous and um, 
uh, during the Iditarod. The hotels, I mean, they they don't have to be cheap. There's no. just not enough They're of them. They're going to fill their rooms yeah. and they can almost charge what they want. Yeah. So you've got to be a little bit careful about what you book because if it's too cheap, it's going to be too cheap. Yeah. And there are some dicey things. There can be some really dicey things. Um, All through Alaska, actually. Yeah. So just be careful. Be really kind of picky. Understand that you're probably one of the biggest costs is going to be accommodations. And, and it's just the way it is. Unless you're camping and taking your RV or taking a tent. And if you are camping, you really have to look closely at the campgrounds that you're planning on going to. If they allow reservations, make reservations. If they don't allow reservations and they're first come, first serve, try to get there early on a Friday morning or even before a week, a weekday morning uh, and just kind of check it out and then be ready at 11 o'clock when most of the campgrounds have their checkout time so that you can swoop in and get swoop a spot. Swoop in. Um, but yeah, accommodations. I, I think that's, that was always our biggest Seward has some really good bed and breakfast and there's bed and breakfast that you can find throughout Anchorage as well. Yeah. You can do an Airbnb probably now. Definitely. Um, there's a lot of things where you can do glamping type things where they put up these mm -hmm. tents and you know, they're not glamping to the point where they're like really. Well, some of them are, but yeah, yeah. a lot of them are uh, like in the Denali area. We've, we've used the, the kind of like mining camp tents yeah. where they've got a, a wooden base around walls, four walls around them, and then the canvas roof on top of them. They kind of reminded me of Girl Scout or Boy Scout camping tents because that's really about all they are. They have a couple of cots in them. So they have to walk down the road yeah. to go to the bathroom. So the really funny t story with those is uh, we put up, uh, we had our camper. So we were camping in a truck camper and we had brought my dad and my stepmom and my sister up to Denali with us. And we put them into one of these canvas, hard, hard walled canvas tents to spend the night. And we just kind of jokingly said, you know, don't forget your flashlight. I think it was July. And like we mentioned earlier, the sun does not really set. It does go down. It's technically not an all night an all 24 hour day area. Uh, it's not quite that far North but it's pretty close to the Arctic Circle. So and you can go to the Arctic Circle even, anyway. Yeah, and even when the sun does technically go down, it's never dark. It's never more than like sunset dusk type. And so we jokingly said, don't forget your flashlight. Well, they were, were sleeping in their tent, and these are heavy canvas tents. They are sealed. So when you're in there at night, it's dark. and you got it closed up, you're pitch black. So uh, I think it was Jenny that had to step out for the bathroom around one o'clock in the morning. And so she grabbed her flashlight and she had it ready and she swung open the door and it's daylight blasted by daylight. Yeah. Uh, I love that story. Yeah, me too. All righty. Well, I don't know if you can tell, but we love Alaska. Yeah, We love everything about it from the quirkiness of the people to the and friendliness to well like you were saying the light it's light in the winter in the summer and it's dark in the winter if you're there and you get to see the northern lights it's amazing yeah. the winter carnivals the two big winter events are also amazing there's plenty of outdoor adventure whether you go summer or winter whether you want to ski or bike or literally there's so much to do 
all the time. Oh, you can't long. get bored. And it's just a little bit pricier than the lower 48, mainly because it's so far from everything. Well, it's a land of extremes. And it that is. includes the prices. Yeah. And the weather. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Streets and Eats. If you liked what you heard, please show us some love. Hit the like button and leave us a review. Maybe even subscribe so you don't miss any future podcasts. Also, we'd love it if you joined us on our Facebook private group, Streets and Eats, where we just have an ongoing conversation about all things travel. Ciao for now.